Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the big storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 14th. Truthfully, it's a hungover Monday. We're all feeling it after three weeks of intense action in New York. It's crazy to say that we have completed this 2020 U.S. Open. Nevertheless, we finally know who has emerged as the first, first first-time Grand Slam champion on the ATP Tour since 2014 after five sets of dramatic, let's call it dramatic tennis, Dominic Team advances to earn his first Grand Slam title of his career over Alex Zverev. Joining me to recap the dramatic match, give our final thoughts on this U.S. Open, and of course, talk about the rest of a really exciting Championship Sunday in the professional tennis world. You, of course, know him as our Crack Rackets Do Everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated coach in Missouri high school history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, I know you're planning to put on your coaching hat during this podcast, but just after five sets of dramatic action, our first major that we covered full-time as employees at Cracked Rackets. How are you feeling this Monday? I'm exhausted. This match took so much out of me, and it wasn't in a good way, right? This wasn't where I had diehard, you know, fanship in one corner and was just rooting for it. It was just a stressful match from start to finish. So, you know, I was glad when it was over and not for the right reasons. But, you know, we still got to talk about it. That's what we're here to do. So I'm at least excited to do that to some degree. But, yeah, exhausted in a word. People know my Alex Vera fandom, and I'm not going to hide it during this podcast. Obviously, for me, it was a crushing day emotionally. I was so excited when we were, when we, sorry, it's going to slip out. I'm going to say we eventually during this podcast. When Zverev was up two sets to love, I legitimately allowed myself to think, oh my God, is this actually going to be how he wins this match? And obviously, Dominic team comes back. Zverev serves for the match in the fifth, up 5-3, the tiebreaker being what it was. Yeah, it was... I, I I really don't think I've felt a major emotionally, physically the way I do this Monday where I feel exhausted just because, again, there has been so much action. It has been so exciting. And given, again, all of the chaos that went into this U.S. Open, it actually kind of feels fitting that this is the final we got, right? From a narrative standpoint that it was this sort of dramatic, this sort of funky tennis after what we've seen from the men these past three weeks in New York. It just, it was the perfect cherry on top of just a ridiculous 2020 U.S. Open that I'm sure none of us will be forgetting anytime soon. Yeah, listen, this match, I mean, 15 breaks of serve, (laughs) so many momentum swings, you can't even, you can't even begin to pin what, it's just, look, it it is a, it is a ridiculous match, Um, and as you mentioned, I don't think there's a better way to put it, very fitting for the season of 2020 that we're in. Yeah, no, I mean, if we're doing confessions here at the top, some of you know, and we actually had someone tweet at us yesterday, uh, I think it was Betty, I apologize if I screwed up your name, uh, just because, again, there are a lot of things in my notifications at times, but when Zverev goes up Humble to sets love, yeah, <laughs> well, I gotta throw one humble brag in here, there's gonna be a lot of me eating crow during this pod, but, uh, you know, I get a tweet uh, during the match when Zverev's up two sets love that says, Alex, take your phone out of the garage. Like, whatever you're doing, it's working too well for Zverev. And I responded, absolutely not. Uh, And, of course, it didn't end up mattering. It was just... Yeah, it it was an emotional day. Again, it was a funky match, certainly. We will get into that and, again, talk about some of the other things that happened on Championship Sunday. Look at the Rome draws because it's funny. I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, what am I going to watch? And then I was like, wait, I know exactly what I'm going to watch. We already have a Masters event on clay featuring so many of the players we did not see at the U.S. Open. So, of course, we want to talk about that a little bit today. But the reason we're able to talk about anything here on our Crack Rackets podcast, the reason we've been able to follow the action so closely in New York and really in the professional tennis world since it restarted in August is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. You know the deal. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. And again, we can't all be Jamie McDonald. We can't all always be looking good. We can't always be feeling good. But with Midwest Sports, you can because you're going to find anything you could need. Shirts, shoes, rackets, grips, grommets, my favorite word in 
professional tennis. Uh, all of it available at the Midwest Sports website. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off. You'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, you'll get that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Uh, Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a success. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, you're looking for your morning boost. You're looking to get your nutrition in the right way. You saw the way Zverev and team were going five sets, and you thought to yourself, man, would I be able to pull that off? Well, with our friends at Aerobar, you can get that much closer. The only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana. I know Dominic team wished he had a cinnamon honey oat Aerobar as he had into that fifth set because the cramping was starting to come. You yourself can go get some Aerobars right now by going to their website, aerobar.com. You use the promo code CRACK15. You'll let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off your order. Win-win all around. So again, look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. All right. With that being said, Jamie, let's get into this match. Dominic team, 2-6, 4-6, 6-4, 6-3, 7-6. He takes a five-set victory over Alex Virov to claim his first Grand Slam title. Of course, worth mentioning, this was the fourth consecutive five-set major final on the men's tour. It was also uh, the fifth time in the Open era. A player who lost the first two sets has come back to win. First time at the U.S. Open since, I believe, 1946, I want to say, when, or 1949. Excuse me, when Pancho Gonzalez came back to win from two sets to love down. Of course, we all remember Pancho's incredible comeback in that match. But, Jamie, we'll go frame by frame. We'll break it down from start to finish. But just your initial reactions to this match. Well, listen, Dominic team couldn't match the comeback of someone like a Pancho Gonzalez. Let's not forget, of course. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, look. So, first things first. Zverev did come out of the gate firing. Um, and team did the exact opposite, right? He looked flat-footed. He looked off. I mean, it took a long time for Dominic team to even get anything near himself, right? And it, toward the end of this match, you know, you saw flashes of it. But he still never reached that true Dominic team level, which is, you know, point one in why this was kind of a disappointment. Like, yes, I'm happy for team. You know, obviously I picked him to win this match. I think that out of, you know, since the big three wasn't in this, you know, the big three not playing this, Djokovic, obviously the only one who was getting disqualified. Like, yeah, right. I mean, team seems like the one to win this. But when you take it in a match like this, I mean, this was just really tough to watch. And you feel for Alex Zverev, right, because he has this thing. And, you know, honestly, he just lets off the gas um, because yeah. he let himself get broken in that third set. Because realistically, team was not playing at a level high enough to win this thing in the third set. Zverev gave that away by getting broken twice. Um, and then Dominic team was in the match and Zverev was in his own head. So that's really where it started to turn for me. And I mean, unfortunate. I know you have a million things to say, but how did you feel about Zverev's <laughs> level, you know, coming out of the gate? Well, no, I'm, I'm glad we start there because, look, I, I said this on the end of yesterday's mini break pod, and we gave you a much deserved day off going into yesterday's final when I was previewing the matches, talked about what a Zverev win might look like, and it started out exactly in that scenario. And at the end of yesterday's pod, I said, do I think team will win in four? Probably, but I'm going to predict Zverev to win in five simply because I rewatched that Australian Open semifinal they played three times in the buildup to this final. And you could just see where the patterns existed for Alex Zverev to have success. Now, in that Australian Open match, he made over 80% of his first serves, won over 60% of those points, uh, over 70% of those points, excuse me, that was the exact same trend in the early going of this match. You look in the stats in this, 12 of 13 on first serve points in set number one, 18 of 21 on first serve points in set number two, and he's serving 66% between those two sets on the first serve. It was the single biggest weapon on the court, and of course nerves were going to play a factor going into this match, but for Alex Zverev, it was the fact that for the first time in two matches, he did not have the pressure of coming in as the favorite, and there was a freedom he was playing with early on. There's also a decisiveness he's forced to play with when he plays Dominic team because as everyone knows, when you're playing Zverev, the serve uh, the play is hit serves to his forehand because that's the side you're going to expose. 
Zverev knew that was coming, and yet for him, with his forehand, he was just so decisive in this match, and he was playing such aggressive tennis, and the thing that impressed me the most, Jamie, about his decisiveness, and it's a credit to his team, the scouting they did before this match, is that they knew, hey, Alex, you're going to get about 12 additional feet of space, because Dominic team likes to play that far behind the baseline, and you're going to have clean looks with your serve uh, to serve and volley, or you're going to get plus one balls that you just have to come in behind. Because again, if team's going to give you that space, you have to take it. You have to be decisive. And that's exactly what he did. And then you add in the nerves of, you know, the fact that uh, Dominic team clearly came out shaky. And it's just to to say for Zvira, the game plan to be, hey, you're going to ask someone who's nervous to hit a lot of passing shots. Again, that's exactly the game plan you want. And you look in set number one, he's seven of eight at the net. But I don't think that stat does enough justice to how many missed passes shots we saw from team in that first set. In set number two, he's 15 of 20 at the net, which feels a little bit closer, but again, he's just moving forward so confidently, so freely, and you're just like, where was this Alex Zverev? So from a game plan perspective, those first two sets, again, a lot of that had to do with Dominic Team's level. Dominic Team did not play well through these first two sets, really didn't play that well throughout this match. But from a game plan perspective, it was exactly what I wanted to see from Alex Virov coming out of the jump. Yeah, look, I mean, he did a lot of things well. And, you know, we can talk about the team portion, especially in the first half of this match and how how awful he looked. But realistically, he gave the chances. Zverev still had to take those and make something of it, and he did. So, you know, the first set really didn't bother me that much. Yeah, it was horrible from team, but Zverev did what he was supposed to do. The forehand looked good, right? Zverev's serve looked good. You know, it was just all around. I was like, okay, Alex Zverev, you're here to play. Like, I, you know, I can respect that. You know, I expected Dominic team to find it sooner than he did. Um, you know, Ultimately, he sort of did, I guess, but I think that's really just relative to the fact that Zverev let off the gas. And so that's sort of the next part I want to transition to is sort of the the downfall of Alex Zverev in this match. Um, look, there's a few points that I think you can you can look at and identify and say, wow, here it starts to turn. But for me, it wasn't that clean of a switch because honestly, the level just was not high enough from either of these players to sort of define it as that, right? Like in the third set, it was just like, oh, you guys have an opportunity. We're going to give it to the other players. Zverev has a chance to really, you know, put his foot on the gas, he's going to let up a bit. And so I think really what happened with Zverev was mentally he stopped doing what was working, even though, yes, team was starting to get slightly better and digging his way into this match. Zverev just sort of panicked. Um, and he was like, okay, well, team is doing poorly, so I'll just make balls in the court. And it's like, well, team's finding his rhythm. So, you know, he really went away from what was working, and, and ultimately that hurts him big time because once he drops this third set, it's anybody's match. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we talked about we were going to get into Coach's Corner with James Foster today, and I, I do want to ask you this question because I think wise view of, again, uh, team is such a good matchup for him, even though the career head-to-head now 2-8 to eight suggests otherwise, is I just think Zverev is inherently able to take away the things Dominic Team wants to do. Dominic Team wants to, you know, hit the backhand down the line, either via slice or via, you know, the big one-hander, and then open up inside-out, inside-out, inside-in forehand combo. You know, that's his pattern, right? He wants to go two inside-out to yank you so far off the court, court, and then he just explodes on an inside-in forehand. You can't do that against Alex Zverev. Whether it's his length, whether it's his movement, whether it's the fact that his backhand just absorbs that team forehand so well, Zverev took everything team uh, wanted to do away, and yet... Again, to your point, it just got so passive from him. Team was giving him that third set. How many break points did Alex Zverev have in set number three? I think he had three different break chances. I think they were in different games, to be honest. And I think it was that three-all game in the third. Maybe it was 3-4. He had the chance to just to break for it, to take control of the set, to put his foot on the gas. And he wasn't able to do it. And he obviously got so tentative in this match. And we'll get to the fifth set. Well, I guess we can head that way now. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll get to that second serve. He hit, what was it, 67 miles per hour in the breaker or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But for Dominic Team, how do you think he was able to flip the script, Jamie? What did you see from him tactically that you liked uh, in sets uh, three and four? And, you know, was him flipping the script? Did that have more to do with Dominic Team's level rising, Zverev's level? declining was it somewhere in between 
somewhere in between, but heavily on the side of Zverev, um, because Zverev's level here drops. And tactically, you look at this, you know, we talked about how, well, especially you were talking about how you love Zverev opening up the court and getting to net. And that was absolutely the right play. Not only does team, you know, give you so much space to work with, but Zverev did a great job of stretching team to the outer third, particularly on his backhand side. Giving, making team hit a slice. Well, making is a strong verb there, but you get my point. Team hits a slice, and then Zverev has complete control. I think Zverev did a great job of, you know, sometimes he snuck in when he saw team switch to the to the slice grip, um, and just took that ball and and did great things with it. That was phenomenal. He also let team hit the cross court slice because it slowed down the point and it gave Zverev a free forehand to rip inside in. He did a lot of things so well. For me, the problem was, and, and you highlighted it when you're going over the stats of, okay, he coming to the net, right? And it doesn't even count all the different times the team missed a passing shot. He comes to the net 20 times in set number two, Zverev does. Look at that number in set number three. Why does he lay off so much? He only goes four of eight at the net in set number three. Why in the world does he change that? That was the one that was really unfortunate for me to see because, yeah, team started to get his footing a bit, but Zverev completely let off the game plan that was working. He completely let Dominic team off the hook here, and so that was very frustrating for so, me to see. Just to add to that, uh, part of the reason, I think there was a, a critical moment, 5-3, right? Or, no, no, 5-2 in that first set, or second set. I think it was 5-2 in second the first, set. second yeah. set. Zverev had, it's 40-30. He has an easy backhand volley he overcooks it and that was really the first volley he screwed up at the net and you could just see in the internal calculator of Zverev processing that and just feeling like okay now I'm feeling a little bit shaky with my volleys that's not good and there was just you know in sets three and sets four there were just a couple of volleys that he just he floated and look Again, Alex Zverev's servant volleyer was the pivot 2020 needed. That was exactly the storyline we were all expecting to talk about. And some of the pickups he had in this match are just like, are you kidding me? You're like, where the fuck was that all these years ago? Like, where has that been? We've been, you know, clamoring for years. Move forward. He's got to get a little bit better at the net. He wants to be there and he gets there, but he has no plan. Well, he had a plan when he got to the net. He just, like everything else in this match, started getting a little bit tentative. And that decisive put away volley was floated just a little bit more. And, you know, Dominic team wasn't hitting great first passing shots, but if you give someone as good as Dominic team two looks at passing shots, they're going to hit a winner on the second one. And how many two shot passing, uh, two passing shot combos did we see from Dominic team throughout set three, four, and five? And I think a lot of that had to do with Zverev getting a little shakier with his volleys. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's two important points here. First of all, credit to Dominic Team because Absolutely. he did he did start using a two shot pass really effectively. He he realized and he had enough awareness to say, "Listen, my A game right now is absolutely nowhere to be found. These passing shots that I can normally count on, I'm simply not hitting clean outright. So what am I going to do? I'm going to dip the first one, make it a difficult first volley for Zverev, and then I'm going to be set up for the second one." So, I do like that adjustment from Dominic Team. On the flip side, something I did not like from Dominic Team is he just kept allowing Zverev to come to the net. And if Zverev would have stayed confident in his net game, he would have won this match in straights. I'm 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 100% confident in that statement because when he allowed Team to just sit back, hit those slices, cross barely cross court, um, I, Zverev just gave up so much court position and gave up so many opportunities. Dominic Team, I wanted to scream how many times I watched the into a point go from Zverev. It's a neutral point. Zverev stretches Team to his backhand. Team hits a slice, and instead of doing anything unique with a slice, Zverev was already moved all the way across the court, ready to rip an inside end before team even made contact. And team didn't change anything up. He didn't make the slice go shorter. He didn't change up anything with it. I would have loved to see him take some of those slices down the line just to switch up the rhythm of the rally because Zverev was already there waiting to pounce. And none of that changed from Dominic team, so I don't want to give him credit here. It was just Zverev <laughs> backing off. Um, and that was the really unfortunate part with either of these players is I would have loved to see one of them go out and win this thing. Um, and ultimately, it, it ended up basically the opposite of that is just who was literally left standing at the end of the match. So that was sort of the source of disappointment for me. But I mean, hey, in the end, right, they're on a Grand Slam stage. And, you know, this is a final that I think we'll see before or see again. And now I think at least some silver lining for the Alex Zverev camp, yourself included. He knows what it takes to win this sort of match now. He knows what it takes to win this sort of final. Um, and I think this is going to make him hungrier to do it in the future. Just absolutely got to hurt in the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, look, again, you get to 5-3. You know, Zverev was in front for the majority, it felt like. Or he goes down a quick break in that fifth set, but then he immediately gets the break back. He immediately holds for 2-1, and, you know, there are maybe it was... I I don't remember what the exact split was. Again, I'm still emotional after the result. But it got to a point where Zverev gets the break. He's serving for the match at 5-3. He, the first forehand he missed to go down love 15 was the tightest forehand you can see. And just at that point, you're like, okay, he is absolutely not holting here. And he didn't. He didn't even get to match point 30-40. He uh, he loses the game and uh, team breaks back. And then he holds for five all. Zverev doesn't get to match point there. Uh, Obviously, a good hold from Zverev to get to 6-5. And then for team, I believe uh, he holds pretty comfortably. Although Zverev had so many chances, it felt like in that fifth set to just pull away from Dominic, put this one in the bag, and they get to the breaker, and I mean, team is borderline cramping, and yet this is where Zverev throws in a 68-mile-per-hour second serve. I'm pretty sure he threw in a 74-mile-per-hour first serve. I'm pretty sure he hit two double faults within the tiebreaker. It was just this manifestation of nerves, which was so upsetting, and for Alex Zverev, again, it's crushing because you saw it in the quarterfinals. You saw it in the semifinals. You honestly, or at least I'll speak for myself, I allowed myself to believe, oh my God, it's not going to happen in the finals. He's going to get through this, and this is going to be such a monumental moment in his career. He's going to realize, oh, I don't have to play tight in the biggest moments. If I just play my game, I can dictate and beat anyone. And again, credit to team who just stayed alive, who clearly when he went up in that tiebreaker, you could tell he's like, oh my God, I think I can play three more good points. Like you could tell on his service points, he was like, you know what? I'm going to pop big serve here because I don't think uh, Zverev expects it. And again, physically for him to get over the hump, for him to do it on a hard court, to take advantage of this moment, to make a second straight Grand Slam final, get over the hump in this one, to not fall into that 0-4 in Grand Slam final traps. Of course, thrilled for Dominic team. But yeah, coming out of this, for it's hard to just not feel crushed for Alex Zverev. Yeah, and and look, obviously you probably feel it more than I do, but it still hurts to watch anybody go through a match like this and completely blow it. And look for Zverev, I mean, the things that, and this is the hard, this is the worst part, the things that people have talked about around him, the things that he himself, I'm sure, fears getting so nervy, having the serve let him down, it's exactly how he lost this match. Um, And I think that's going to be the really difficult part to reconcile um, because, you know, now those things that he feared manifesting the most are absolutely what came to bite him in this five-set affair. And look, you can argue that that was all preceded by the fact that in his head he just completely got in in the way of himself. And that's 110% true because that's that's just what happened, right? Um, I was on, I guess, a bit of a positive for Zverev here. I was happy that he reset in the fifth, um, when he got down that break, I, I really didn't want to see team just run away with it. Um, so I'm glad that Zverev hung in, got that break, um, and made this a really, really tight competition. It was just ultimately, you know, when this match ended, it was just the thinking like, okay, well, classic Zverev, right? Just completely lets this go. And, and that's just not a good feeling. Um, and so, yes, I think at some point he will get over this and, and become the champion we expect. But in the moment, it's it's just really hard to look at this match and, and feel happy about right now. No, you could see the emotion on his face, obviously, in that post-match uh, speech he gave. I mean, he was moved to tears. He was talking about how disappointed he was. And, I mean, you could feel that absolutely. And you look in this match, again, you're trying to take positives away. 64% on the first serve. He won 70% of those first serve points. When the serve is right, it's an absolute weapon. Arguably one of the five best serves in the men's game. But 15 double faults, 23 of 56 on second serve points, you know, 8 of 18 on break points. Uh, he had more opportunities. In the end, 52 winners, 65 on four series. It was still a phenomenal tournament for Alex Vierov, who can now get that monkey off of his back. He's played in a Grand Slam final. Now, obviously, the biggest uh, monkey of them all hanging over, the biggest cloud hanging over him, getting that first title. But he's now come one cl- step closer, and he did his job. The second Novak Djokovic went out of the draw the entire tournament, the, all of the pressure turned on Alex Vierov. was, can you get to the final? And he did that. But you have to give credit again to Dominic team uh, 62% of his first serves go in 68% win percentage 48% on the second serve but just survived just scrapped just clawed just stayed alive 43 winners against 55 unforced errors he traveled over again distance covered in this match Jamie 17,079 feet for team 16,855 for Zverev this was a physical match 
pushed to the brink, and in the end, Dominic Team gets over the hump for Grand Slam title number one. And, you know, again, this is where... I probably get more upset about these things than I should, but there was the conversation about the slam, right? There's there's the actual slam happening, there's the conversation about the slam happening, and then there's the conversation about the conversation, and the conversation about the slam was, oh, this isn't the prettiest tennis, oh, like, I wish the Grand Slam level was a little bit higher, and then there was the conversation about the conversation, these people don't appreciate slams, why is anyone ripping on these athletes, let's just enjoy it for what it is, whatever, it gets so meta, it's so stupid, Uh, but just in general... Was it the highest quality of tennis? No. But I thought this match had the drama. It had the pageantry. It felt like a Grand Slam final with all of the tension within it, with just the stakes that it that you could just see that was wearing on these players. And so I enjoyed it thoroughly, not always in the best ways, but looking back, I'd be like, yeah, if I could do that viewing experience again, I absolutely would. Your thoughts on this conversation about was it worthy of a Grand Slam final? I think the names were worthy of a Grand Slam final. I think the score was worthy of a Grand Slam final. I don't think the level of tennis was. Um, And look, you go in here, and it's not like every single time everybody's going to be their best on the court, right? But it's just something we've been spoiled with, um, with how many years now of the Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray, you're welcome, finals, um, (laughs) where we see those levels are just phenomenal, right? It's just great tennis, and you know, it's just true battling and championship out there. So look, it is what it is at this point. Right, you get to a final. This is a Grand Slam final. Nobody's ever going to take that away. Team won the U.S. Open. You know, people say what they will. You know, you can talk about all the different surrounding incidents, things that went on. You still won the U.S. Open, right? And, and so, at the end of the day, you know, there's not much substance to the conversation, in my opinion, because it's like, well, okay, what is there to be done about it, right? Team had the matches set in front of him, and he won those. Zverev, you could have said the same thing. Yeah, the draw opened up really nicely for him and the draw was weaker in the first place but look he had matches in front of him and he he found a way to get through so I think for me right now the biggest disappointment is just I was really expecting a big time clash between these guys right you want to see this sort of matchup you want to be really inspired by it and be like man I can't wait to see this sort of tennis in many Grand Slam finals to come and I just don't feel that way. And, and that's not saying that I never will, um, because I think both of these guys have you know so much great tennis ahead of them. Um, but at, at, in the moment, I'm just a little disappointed for what I was expecting of this match. Yeah, I mean, look, again, we you, you sort of said it. And for I would argue, A, if you look back at this year's Australian Open, sets two, three, four from Djokovic, they were not, or two and three, I think, were, were not good. It was not good tennis. So, like, there's always bad tennis sure. in every Grand Slam final. Nerves manifest themselves. There's rough patches of play in every match you watch, uh, particularly in the best of five format. I just, I, this was absolutely worthy of a Grand Slam final, in my opinion, simply because you could tell this was two players struggling to break through at the biggest moment. And for a lot of us, we've forgotten, you know, in men's tennis, what that looks like. Because again, of the 15 years of dominance, we've seen really, you know, primarily from four, you know, four guys. And then when Stan Wawrinka breaks through, it's like, yeah, but we've seen that before. So that makes sense to us. Uh, it's very similar to what we've seen in the WTA Tour the past three years. It's very similar. I think that's what we can expect as a ATP Tour fans as well is just there's going to be parody. There's going to be some ugly tennis. There's going to be some nerves in the biggest moment. But ultimately, you know, again, inject set five into my veins because that was everything you want from a fifth set of a Grand Slam final. And it sucks that we didn't get that same level, that same tension in sets one through four. But this absolutely lived up to the hype. And, you know, we're going to talk about this on our uh, U.S. Open recap videos, which you can uh, go find on YouTube. We're also going to talk about this, I'm sure, uh, when I talk to Matt Stachowiak to hear his thoughts recapping this U.S. Open, which you guys can all hear on the Great Shot podcast. But in terms of an asterisk for me and it's kind of been nice that this asterisk talk has died down I think after Osaka won the women's everyone just kind of thought yeah well you know she probably would have won it anyways so we're just gonna not talk about that anymore but I don't know it a it felt like the right player won this event which is hilarious to say given that Dominic team lost to Krajinovich like one and two to start the Western and Southern Open in the three weeks in New York but it felt like the right player won well, that hurts to say, but it felt like, you know, Dominic team winning is is a result everyone can 
grasp their mind around, right? He did make the Australian Open final earlier this year. He had made two slam finals before. He did win Indian Wells. He's, you know, all of the prerequisites you want for someone coming up the ranks. Dominic Team certainly has put himself in that position to be an heir apparent. Uh, I guess my final question on this men's final, do you put an asterisk next to the result for Dominic Team? Yeah, I think you still do. <laughs> um, and, and that doesn't, again, you know, that doesn't contradict the fact that it ne- doesn't necessarily take away. Um, because an asterisk doesn't mean that it didn't happen. No. Um, it just means that it's really important to consider what was going on. And yes, every year you can point to something. Someone was injured. Someone did something somewhere, right? But this, there was just so much at, at look, there was so much going on. You know, the fact that top players weren't playing, the fact that the big three wasn't around and Djokovic getting defaulted. Then you see team play this level of tennis, which everyone would say he would have gotten absolutely embarrassed in a match against someone else who, who keeps it going. So look, I put an asterisk there, not as an insult, not as this weird sort of thing where like, oh, he didn't deserve to win. But I think it's important that when we look back on the 2020 U.S. Open, one of the things we talk about is all of the underlying conditions that were going on here. Because it it would be irresponsible to say the 2020 U.S. Open, oh, just happened like any other and here we are. Um, Because that's just simply not true. So I don't know if that answers it uh, to to your um, approval or not. (laughs) Yeah, no, you always get mad at me when I say this. Every slam has context, and you're going to say, well, do you know what an asterisk means? Yes, I know what an asterisk is. I just don't like the connotation of it. I would say the thing Dominic Team can do to erase any of that is just go win a second slam. If he wins a second slam, I promise you no one will ever be like, yeah, but the first slam's really an asterisk, so he only has one and a half. Once you're over the two threshold, no one will care how you won the first. So he ever wins a second Grand Slam, no one will ever talk in, or put an asterisk next to this. Uh, for me, again, some people call it an asterisk. I just prefer to call it context. If you want to always say what the context of the 2020 U.S. Open was, good for you. You're a nuanced tennis fan. I do not put an asterisk next to this because it was a hard-fought battle. And credit, I mean, for team, again, he goes through Demon Hour, he goes through Medvedev, he goes through Zverev. Uh, that's a pretty good gauntlet in 2020. That's about as tough of a road as you're going to face quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. Now, obviously, Obviously, again, no Djokovic, no Federer, no Nadal, but they're not going to be there forever. So, like, you know, in 2021, when someone wins a slam and they're not in the tournament, do we put an asterisk there? I certainly hope not. I don't want to start doing so now. And again, I'm not—I completely understand where you're coming from. I just prefer to look at it as context. Yeah. No, I think it's completely fair. Well, I don't want to get too far down the road. I have one (laughs) question. I, I do have one question for you. Okay. I know you mentioned this early on. You said you like the Zverev matchup against Dominic Team, despite what you've seen in the head-to-head and despite this match. I agree with that. I think that's true. I think Zverev has a ton of ways to hurt him, and I think Dominic Team's normal game, even if he's playing at a higher level, doesn't quite work the same against Alex Zverev. With that being said, moving forward, do you, what does Dominic Team do when he goes up against Zverev, and do you think he played this match the right way You know, when his game was sort of clicking? <sighs> I think he competed the right way. I think he stuck around. I think he recognized that Zverev was going to Zverev, that it was going to be a big moment. There were going to be nerves manifest itself. And if he can just stick around physically, put himself in a position to just be alive in set five, that he could come over the, come through the finish line. And that's exactly what happened. I think, as we talked about so much in the recap, so much of how they match up in the future will have to do with Alex Zverev and where his head is at mentally. Because Dominic Team, to his credit, his peak when he's playing well, he can beat any player in the game right now. It doesn't matter if it's Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer. He can beat anyone. Um, but Alex Zverev is exactly the same way. And so for I just think Zverev can do more things on a tennis court, if that makes sense. And so for me, team, his, his plan A is the best plan A in men's tennis right now or in that category. Is there really a plan B, a plan C for Dominic Team ever? No, not really. It's just how how well can he execute plan A. I think a lot of their future matchups are just going to come by, you know, simply put, where does Zverev go mentally from here? How does he grow? How does he adapt to those big scenarios? Is that fair? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I'm just curious because I was yeah, I was no, from a my tennis perspective. Team play these. Yeah. Because you probably wanted to see more down the line slices, right? But the thing is Zverev was hitting his forehand so confidently, right? I thought team sure. made a made a concerned effort to target that side. It just didn't end up working out that well for him. Right. No, and, and it's not just, you know, uh, one sort of like yeah. 
it's not just one small thing that I wanted to see. I'm just wondering tactically if you think team did the right things. Obviously, his game was not clicking in this one. So, yes, hanging around was good. But, you know, the next time they match up, because it's inevitable that there will be a next time on a big stage. I'm wondering what team thinks, because Zverev, I mean, you know what his coaches are going to be telling him to do, because it worked through the first two sets, and it worked really well, despite the fact that team was playing horribly. Yeah. Um, so now you flip this, you know, what is Masu saying to team right here? Um, well, it, it's just an interesting one. No, absolutely. I will say, low-key, the the ballsiest move of the match, the reason Dominic team may have won this one, and this is just a little detail, but um, I think it's when 4-3 in the third set, they're on serve still, team gives... And, you know, team's down two sets to love here. It's 4-3. Team gives three rackets to Nicholas Masu. He says, hey, go get these restrung. And and it's like, you're down two sets to love. You're in the midst of probably losing this third set. You're going to give him three rackets to get restrung. I know Alex Virev. He noticed that, and that had to have yeah. ticked him off. And it's just the little things. Every little edge you can take in an 8-6 fifth set breaker. Uh, that was just a great move by Dominic Team. Hey, great yeah. shot to him. No, I, lo- I love that as well. And even commentators, John McEnroe, I know, said something about it, that he loved to see that fighting spirit. And, no, I love that. And and whether it's, you know, a, a mental move or it's actually something to keep him locked in this match, you know, it is what it is. The only thing, I, I would have loved to see Team have a, an outburst earlier on, right? Yeah. Smash a racket, yell, do something, because he was keeping it all inside, and it was just eating him alive at how horribly he was playing. And it was, you know, finally he turned it around thanks to Zverev, you know, letting him back in this match. But, I mean, I would have liked to see Team get that anger and that energy out earlier on so that he could move on and get to the true Dominic Team we know. But, hey, at the end, right, who am I to question it? Because he ends up winning U.S. Open final. So, yeah, here we are. exactly. And, again, uh, just some quick numbers we uh, because we could talk about this match probably for six hours. But you look at it again, fifth slam in the open era, won by a player who lost the first two sets. It happened at 74, 84, 99, and 04 Roland Garros's. It now has happened at this U.S. Open. Shout out to at Luca Beck for that stat. Uh, some of the other things, obviously, you take away from this one for Dominic team. As I mentioned, first player since Pancho Gonzalez in 49 to win uh, from two sets to love down at the U.S. Open. He's also, again, the first first-time Grand Slam champion since the 2014 U.S. Open, Marin Cilic. I'm going to just do this for you real quick because ATP Media uh, released these names, Jamie. Listen to the generational gaps in these last 10 first-time Grand Slam champions. You have Federer, Roddick, Gaudio, uh, Nadal, I'll do it before 05. Then you have Djokovic, Delpo, Murray, I'll do it in that 8 to 12 range. Stan and Chilich sneak two in, and then Dominic team. I mean, it's just like we're just skipping generations here. It, it's incredible. Yeah, look, there have been. This is why they call it that lost generation, right? I mean, yeah. there's so many names that are not in that list, and at this point, it looks like the window is closed on that list. Um, and, and that's not a definitive statement because you never know what's going to happen. But yeah, it's weird. And and you know, team not one of the next gen guys, but certainly on the younger side. Um, you know, when comparing to the people who have dominated this game for so long now. So I mean, look. Again, always looking for silver linings here. You had a next-gen guy, Zverev, who was championed as the next-gen sort of leader for a long time because of his early ascent. Um, And against Dominic Team, a guy who slightly outside of that next-gen category but had firmly asserted himself at the top of the game. If you were going to have some non-big three guys go at it in a Grand Slam final, it would be these two. So at the end of the day, it is what it is and a good battle. They're friends, and so they're going to hang out over the course, hopefully, of their next, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of life. But you know during that time period, at some point, it's going to be 11 p.m. They're going to be four Molsons uh, too deep, and Milos Raonic is going to turn to Vashik Pospisil and be like, dude, f*** you. Like, I should have won that slam, and you screwed me out of it, and this is entirely your fault, and I cannot believe I let Dami get a slam before I did, and I blame you. Am I wrong? I feel like that I mean, conversation that's could I, happen. Look, so if you go, if you want to go down a list of how many people are kicking themselves out of this draw, <laughs> I mean, look, it's a long list to go down, but Raonic is right at the top. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, my goodness, was this an opportunity for him. And look, you never know, right? If team 
plays someone like a Raonic, maybe this goes very differently. But holy cow, if, if you're because Raonic was coming out of the bottom half of the draw, correct? Yeah. So he would have had to hit him in the semi. So regardless, though, yes, Raonic kicking himself because he knows what an opportunity he just missed. Yeah, I think Medvedev, all the other young guys, they're not going to be talking about this one because they're like, we've, we're going to have plenty of other chances. And I'm not yeah. saying Milos Raonic is old. I'm saying this was the one for him. Like this was, yep. yeah, this is Absolutely. where everything lined up. And so, yeah, uh, obviously, though, it was a fantastic U.S. Open. And again, we are going to be doing our recap shows. We've already recorded our women's recap. We are going to be recording our men's recap after this mini break. You listeners can find all of our final thoughts uh, on these t- three weeks in New York on our YouTube channel. It is worth saying. And obviously, you know, you know, there were a ton of cool statements yesterday, whether it be Zverev team, the love they received on social media from various players uh, who, again, were so defensive of the final, who talked about the spectacle. Players defending players, always a good thing. Um, obviously, it was so touching to see uh, uh, Misha Zverev, uh, what he said about Alex. You know, he's always looked up to Alex. He knows he's going to achieve great things. There were a lot of, you know, touching moments. Uh, but it's also worth just saying one more time how much credit should go to the USTA for putting, you know, putting on this event for for pulling it off, for trying to create the best bubble that they can to protect not only the players, but everyone involved in the event, and to provide us tennis fans with some desperately needed tennis, and just a little bit of hope that, you know, life will someday return to normal, that, you know, at least the normalcy of getting to see our favorite players back on court day in, day out, uh, they deserve major props, so shout out to them uh, for all they have done, Jamie, and obviously, again, we'll recap it, but, uh, you know, we didn't know if this was going to happen. I, the fact that they're over the finish line now, that there are two champions, you know, not just two champions crowned, all of the champions crowned, major victory. Yeah, I mean, look, it was it was, it was was a real treat to have tennis like this, right? Obviously, we had a huge break from it. I'm unfortunate you saw Wimbledon canceled, French Open moved, and of course now that's something we're looking at very, very, very soon. But yeah, it was great to see the U.S. Open actually go on and Look, there were a few hiccups along the way, obviously the Benoit pair and those sort of incidents. But at the end of the day, you know, you had the U.S. Open. It was a great event, um, and it was obviously a weird one, um, a bit unprecedented in what they had to do and all those regulations and whatnot. But hopefully it's not an issue for much longer. That's all we can hope for. Yeah, no, again, credit to the UST for pulling off this event, and uh, it was an exciting U.S. Open. Uh, certainly, we learned a lot uh, the, over these past three weeks, but the tennis season does not stop, Jamie. No rest for the weary. We head straight into a Rome Masters event this week, and then it's crazy to say, but, you know, the, the French Open starting, I think, two, a not two weeks from today or two weeks from yesterday and so we will really not have much lag time in between events of course we plan to keep rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets and just quickly I want to mention some of the other results that happened this past weekend shout out to Miomir Kasmenovic the talented young next gener gets his first ATP title as he knocks off another friend of Cracked Rackets Yannick Hanifman 6-4-6-4 in the final uh, Jamie obviously Miomir a guy who has been the number one junior in the world, the guy who has been on the lists of all of the talented up-and-coming next-gen players. For him, disappointing result at the U.S. Open, but really exciting to see him take advantage of this week, take advantage of this field, and ultimately come, you know, beats Nishikori in round one, and from there just kind of rocked and rolled his way to the fin- uh, over the finish line. Yeah, this is a really good one. You, you love to see this sort of thing where somebody bows out early of a big, um, big event like the U.S. Open, goes over, you know, gets started on clay. And, you know, this has got to give him a lot of confidence moving into, um, you know, this clay season, if you even want to call it that, or at least the French. Um, so really good from Kesminovich to see here. I mean, I think, like I said, at the very least, he's got to be feeling good about his game on clay. And right now it doesn't look so bad that he lost early at the U.S. Open. Yeah, no, I mean, again, he looks comfortable. And what we're learning, uh, especially through these day one results in Rome, is it's going to be really funky these first two weeks. There's going to be a lot of results that, again, watch these matches before you make your predictions because there's going to be a result that you're going to be like, why did that happen? Then you realize, oh, it's because this player got two hours of sleep because he just flew over from X country and because he hasn't played a match on clay yet. There are going to be funky results like that that you're going to want to throw out the window, but of course, you're going to also want to watch you know, players like Nadal, like Djokovic, see how they look on the clay too. So it's going to be really exciting, but yeah, great result for Kesmenovic, who with this win now, you look for him, Kesmenovic currently uh, sitting 
very pretty, I would say, in the rankings right now. You look for him, number 40. That's one off his career high of 39. Uh, the guy he beat in the final, Yannick Hanifman, back up to number 103. That's four off his career high of 99. And, you know, the 28-year-old former USC All-American, uh, he struggled a lot with injuries these past 12 months. But when it looks good, it looks so good for Yannick Hanifman, just so decisive, the big forehand, the a huge kick, really good result for him in Kitzbühel this week, a couple of great wins for Hanifman along the way as well. Of course, that was the Kitzbühel result. We look in Istanbul for the WTA. Patricia Teague, who took two and a half years off from tennis to go start a family, to go live a life outside, she has come back to the game, and she has been on fire, Jamie, ever since. A bunch of wins at the ITF level on clay. Now she finds herself back in the top 100 and in the winner's circle for the first time at the WTA international level as she knocks off Jeannie Bouchard in a dramatic 2-6-6-1-7-6 affair that saw Teague blow seven match points before ultimately converting on the eighth one in the uh, the tiebreaker. Uh, Great result for Teague, Jamie. Great results for Bouchard, by the way, who you look at what she's done since the restart. Quarterfinals in Auckland, quarterfinals in Prague, now final in Istanbul, 7-3 against top 100 players. She's back at number 163 after being ranked outside the top 300 to start this season. Again, players taking advantage of these opportunities is what you want to see in this moment. Yeah, 100%. Well, I was wondering uh, how much you were going to touch on that Teague Bouchard match because I know that was a roller coaster, <laughs> particularly for you. I mean, look, you can look at it and, and see the momentum switch even win that with that score, right? Two six six one seven six. But yeah, all the match points blown. You were texting me throughout the entire thing because I know you had some stuff riding on that one. But now, again, you like to see these sort of results from players and, and bouncing back. Obviously, a weird thing where you can sort of switch momentum, right? If you're not doing so great in a season, you switch from hardcore to clay, try and get some momentum before you're playing and most likely the French. So, look, good to see from these players. I know another dicey one that you had some investment on was Sandrin and Popperin. Um, Sandrin <laughs> ultimately gets this one done. But, yeah, exactly. From any of these players who you're really counting on to move in and actually do something, make a deep run in, in a tournament like the French, good to see them get their feet wet a bit um, and have some good results in those lead-up tournaments. Yeah, I just think Patricia Teague right now is a player who you can find a lot of value in because 26 years old, she's up to a new career high of number 58, and I just don't think DraftKings or Vegas, but DraftKings in particular, since those are our boys, I don't think they realize the value in Patricia Teague because she took the two and a half years off. She is really talented, and you could just see it coming into this match. Jeannie's playing really well. She looks great physically, but Teague's got weapons, folks, so just a name to float by you all to be on the lookout for, and of course, she's going to be in Rome here. Here this week, and all eyes turn to Rome, Jamie. You look at the draws for the men's side. Number one seeded Novak Djokovic sits at the top of the draw. He's got a prospective matchup with uh, Tennis Sandgren or Salvatore Caruso. His seed, uh, Felix Ogier Aliasim, already knocked out by Krajinovic this morning. You look at some of the other seeds. Stan Wawrinka, Gael Monfils back in action. Kane Ishikori unseeded, but in action. We saw Berrettini in the draw. Chorich knocked off Christian Aaron, Kasper Ruud knocks off Karen Hachinov, Fodnini back in the draw, Dimitrov, Shapovalov, all of our favorites. It's crazy to say, of course, I didn't mention Rafa Nadal, who's got there a first-round go. matchup with Pablo Carreno Busta round two. Uh, that's going to be delightful, but I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to turn my eyes yet to Rome, Jamie. Your thoughts, your preliminary thoughts on this draw? So here's the thing. A tournament like this right after a Grand Slam is so stressful for me because you're really used to easing your way into a tournament, right? You're used to easing your way those first couple of rounds. In a tournament like this, there is no easing your way in. Look at this. We got Nadal up against a semifinalist at the U.S. Open in their first, right, in Nadal's first match. Already you have, I mean, it's just, you had Kranovich, somebody who was in great form in the hardcore season, going up against FAA who made a deep run at the U.S. Open, right? So it's just, there's so much going on. You don't, I don't even know where to turn my head to. Chorich, took on Garen, right? right? So it's just, you have absolutely no break. And so, you know, I think you get a little bit of breathing room when you move out of this and back into the French Open, a slam with a bigger draw. You know, it takes a while to get through that one, but right now it's just unrelenting. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's crazy. You look at the women's draw, same deal. We get to see Simona Halep back in play. We get to see, I believe, Kiki Burton's back in play. We get to see Belinda Benchich back in play. We get to see, you know, all these players uh, back in action. Of course, you also have players like Caroline Pliskova, Elise Mertens, uh, Svitolina back in action. I didn't mention her, but Conteve is here. Von Drusova, the defending finalist, is here. Joe Conta. I mean, first round, some of these matchups are just a joke. Like, Jabour versus Coco Goff again. Uh, Vika versus Venus again. The winner of Vika Venus, by the way. Guess who they have? Second round, Sophia Kennan. Um, yeah, there's again no rest for the weary. It is going to be such an exciting week. As opposed to you know talking about the draw, who you think is going to win? Just give me the two names: one man, one woman. You think people should be watching this week to help their preparations for the U.S. Open uh, for the French Open? Excuse me. On the women's side, I think it's Halep. Um, I think I really just want to see her come out strong. Obviously, we've seen her have success on the clay before, so I, I want to see where she's at. Obviously, here in Rome, she is the number one seed. So obviously, if you're a fan of Halep, you want to see her live up to that number one seed, get all the way through and take this thing with some momentum. But for me, I'm just really going to be watching her matches to see the level of play. And, you know, a lot of these players not necessarily in their best match form, particularly if they didn't play the U.S. Open. You don't really know where they stand. Halep is a big one um, for me that I'm going to be watching. Flip to the men's side. I mean, I think there's a lot of names you could name here. Um, for me, though, the biggest one is going to be Sitsipas. Um, Sitsipas was a guy who I was really intrigued by, who I had going a bit deeper in that U.S. Open. I know he had made, uh, made a pretty good run, had that five-set loss against Borna Chorch that was a heartbreaker for anybody who was cheering for Stefano. So I want to see where his level's at. Obviously, I think he's young enough and you know talented enough that that wasn't really going to throw him off of his game, but I want to see his tennis to be sure. Yeah, no, I mean, again, so many names right now. Uh, You mentioned Halep, absolutely. She looked so good in her win in Prague before the U.S. Open. If she comes out at wins in Rome or even makes semifinals, finals, she's, in my opinion, the prohibitive favorite to take home the French Open title. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll be watching all of those players who didn't play in the U.S. Open on the men's side uh, as well. Guys like Monfils, who was playing so well at the start of 2020. How does he look after this uh, six-plus-month hiatus? some of the dark horses, you know, I'd love to see Sandgren give Djokovic a run for his money on the clay because I think Sandgren, again, uh, a guy who was obviously one to circle during the hardcourt stretch, but he's just as good on the clay, folks, and so I think that's going to be a really tough out. I just think, yeah, we're going to be treated to exceptional tennis. I mean, that Christian Guerin loss to Chorich, that's notable to me. What that tells me is that what Chorich was doing at the U.S. Open, very, very real because Christian Guerin's in a very difficult out right now on clay, and he struggled, I suppose, since this layoff, but still uh, something to watch. But yeah, a ton of great tennis, of course, and why I we bring it up is because we're going to be covering Rome all week long here on the Mini Break Podcast. Of course, we will have more content recapping the U.S. Open, a great shot podcast with Matt Stachowiak, two YouTube videos, Jamie McDonald and myself, which we will be recording the second of after this. You can find them by us uh, going to our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to that Crack Rackets YouTube channel already so you get that immediate notification. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. A huge shout-out to all of you listeners. Because of you, we were able to record our most downloads ever these past 30 days. We cannot emphasize enough how appreciative we are to any of you who joined us along the way for the U.S. Open. We hope you stick around through, uh, you know, for actually just for a while because we're going to keep doing what we love to do here at Cracked Rackets, talking about the sport we love. And, of course, if you have missed any of our content, go to the website at CrackRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well uh, to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15Aerobar.com. The promo code is Cracked15. Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap up this U.S. Open Men's Singles Final Recap Pod? I'm worn out, but there's no time to be worn out right now. So I'll have to push it down the road a couple weeks and, and get my rest then. Yeah, that's why you had Sunday off. Come on. No time. I need to talk more Rome. Well, we got tennis to watch. So with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flingner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Take care, everyone.